But out of love and reverence for God's word, please stand with me as we read our passage together. I'm actually going to begin at verse 9 of chapter 2 and then read through the end of chapter 2. So hear now, for this is God's holy, infallible word, and he does speak through his word. But we do see him for, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, this is indeed your word, which you have breathed out by your spirit And as we consider your word, Father, would you be with us by your spirit? Would you be with me by your spirit? May I preach your word with boldness and clarity and liberty and truth. Would you open our hearts to receive your word as we ought, as your very word? Would you encourage us, motivate us, and equip us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The 2001 film Black Hawk Down tells the dramatic story of events that occurred in Somalia in 1993. Task Force Ranger, a military force composed of elite military units, were tasked to conduct a manhunt of the Somali warlord Muhammad Farah Adid. And in the course of carrying out their raid, two Army Black Hawk helicopters were shot down. And the elite units then made a frantic attempt to defend those two Black Hawk helicopters, even while the Somali forces closed in around them. And the future was bleak for the American soldiers as they were surrounded on every side. But then, in a move that would ultimately result in earning them the Congressional Medal of Honor, two Army Delta Force operators requested to be inserted into the conflict to help the forces on the ground defend their position. And their heroism extended into the next day 
at which point the UN forces were able to come and rescue the remaining survivors, but not before those two American Delta Force operators had given their life to, in the attempt to deliver their American brothers from the conflict. And beloved, I tell you that story because uh, in a very real sense, the Lord Jesus Christ made a daring rescue attempt for you and for me. Only it wasn't um, with the possibility that he would give up his life, but with the necessity that he would suffer unto death. And as we've been talking about, we are in this wilderness period between the accomplished salvation that Jesus did for us on the cross and the consummation of our salvation when Jesus comes again. And like those American soldiers who were defending those helicopters, we can face the fear and the fatigue of enduring in the midst of this wilderness. We can face the doubt whether our true salvation is really going to come, or we can face that frustration in asking the question, if and since Jesus Christ is seated on his throne, why does God require his children to go through this path of suffering. But what we need to see is, and what we will see in this passage, is that the path to glory goes through the wilderness of suffering. And as has been the custom of the author of Hebrews, as will be his custom throughout the whole book, he holds up the Lord Jesus Christ for us to look at him to see our experience through the lens of his experience. So we can know what God is doing in us, we need to see what God did in him. And what we will see in this passage is that we must persevere in the midst of suffering because suffering is God's path to glory. Suffering is God's path to glory. And to encourage us in our endurance, the Lord gives us three key things to look at in this passage. The first is the pioneer of our salvation. Uh, Secondly, we need to look at his path to glory. But finally, the promises that await God's people at the end of the path. So we begin with the pioneer. Um, If you remember, in, in In our passage from last week, we were left gazing into the heavenly realms, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ seated on his throne. And then he ends by saying, in verse 9, that he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And verse 10 continues that thought, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting. It was God's purpose. It was his plan. It was the right thing 
that as God is bringing many sons to glory, that he would make the founder perfect through suffering. God's plan was to make him perfect in the process of suffering as he brings these many sons to glory. And our ESV translations call Jesus here the founder of their salvation. And indeed, that is true. He is both the founder and the foundation of our salvation. But the Greek word there is a word that I'd actually invite you to learn, the word archegos. It is a fabulous word that goes much farther than the term founder. Some of your translations might have the word author of our salvation there, but this word is a majestic word that could also mean champion. It was used in this uh, in the Greek language to refer to Hercules, the champion in Roman mythology who would fight. But also you can think of the champion Goliath of the, of the Philistines who fought on behalf of his people. And Archegos is that champion. The Lord Jesus Christ is our champion who has fought on our behalf. But it also has a sense of being a pioneer. And kids, you hopefully know what a pioneer is. You've probably studied pioneers in your studies, uh, such as Lewis and Clark, who pioneered the way through the Louisiana Purchase in the West to, to discover this land that had been purchased. A pioneer is one who blazes a trail for someone else, who charts a course. And while these different uses of the word archegos are all through the book of Hebrews, founder, author, champion, pioneer, perhaps this sense of a pioneer that is most suited for our passage here because what we see is the Lord Jesus Christ pioneering a path through the wilderness of suffering on his way to glory. So I think what we need to see is that if and since God had his one and only begotten son go through the path of suffering as our pioneer, then we, whom he is leading on the path to glory, can expect to suffer as we follow in his train behind him. Now, we probably need to take a pause just a second to talk about this phrase where he says that he made Jesus perfect through suffering. Uh, certainly, we need to affirm that the Son of God has always been perfect. He will always and ever be perfect. And we also need to deny that in his incarnation and becoming a man like us, he did not give up his perfection in one bit. There was no imperfection within him. That's not the sense of what is being discussed here. What the author of Hebrews wants us to understand is that in his suffering, in becoming like us, he was becoming perfectly fit to be our Savior. He was the perfect Savior who could save us. This is the path that was necessary and needful for him to travel in order to get there. And if he's our pioneer, we're following in his path, it's important for us to understand what that path was. And that path was a path of suffering, of suffering. Now, kids, uh, I don't know if you've ever 
studied the kids' catechism. Uh, it's a helpful tool in trying to understand what we believe God's Word to teach. And if you haven't, I encourage you to have your parents teach it to you. It's very helpful. Uh, but there is a question in the kids' catechism that says, what kind of life did Jesus live? And the answer, very simple, a life of poverty and suffering. He was born into a life of poverty. He suffered even from his very low estate into which he was born, not into a king's palace, but into a poor family. And he endured the, the pains and the trials of life, each and every one that we experience. He was born under the law, submitted himself to the law of God. And he was tempted, Scripture says, tempted in every way and yet did not sin. And it might be hard for you to accept the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was truly tempted. Uh, the Apostle James says that God tempts no one and is tempted by no one. And since we know that the Lord Jesus Christ was fully God, logically, we would say, it seems unlikely that he could have been truly tempted. But what we have to remember is that Jesus was not only fully God, but he was also fully man. And as fully man, he was able to be tempted. And what I would assert to you is that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced temptation far beyond, far beyond what you or I will ever experience. Because the devil's a purpose in temptation is to cause us to fall, to fall into sin. And if we are seeking to topple a building, we will use a force equal to the stability of that structure. And every one of us will buckle, have a tendency to buckle under temptation at a far less intense pressure because of our weakness and our frailty and our susceptibility to sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was sinless, because he was sinless, required the most extreme, the most intense form of pressure to try to bring him down. Not only that, this was the arch enemy, the mortal enemy of the devil, the very son of God, the one who was to come to bind the strong man and to deliver out of his clutches the people that were imprisoned to him, the, the champion. And here was the moment where he was clothed in the frailty and weakness of human flesh. We ought to expect that the devil unleashed the full force of the entire arsenal of his temptation upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the midst of that remained faithful for you and me. He was most certainly, perfectly, and completely tempted. And of course, the ultimate suffering that he experienced was his death, his death on the cross. And through that suffering unto death, he was crowned victorious with glory and honor. But beloved, what really ought to grab our attention is the fact that Jesus chose to suffer in this way. 
the Son of God seated in the heavenly realms before his incarnation faced no suffering. And yet he knew that by, in order to bring many sons to glory, he must become like them. He must endure what they endured to suffer as they suffer in order to bring them to glory. And that is exactly what he did. It was the necessary path for him to take in order to lead us to glory. And the passage gives us four glorious things, aspects of what Christ accomplished in becoming like us, in suffering for us. The very first one is that he became our sanctifier. It says, verse 11, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So those who are being led to glory must be prepared for glory. They must be fit for glory. And that process is what we call sanctification, being made holy, being made in the image of Christ. And part of his purpose was to be the one who would sanctify those who are being sanctified, being prepared, consummated, uh, or, or consecrated for, for glory. And he has come to do this. And it says they all have one source. Another way of putting that is they're of the same stock. Uh, the one in the Old Testament, the image uh, is that this is a priestly role, specifically the high priest who would consecrate the people for service. And so Jesus, we see here that Jesus is taking on this priestly role to to prepare these people, to sanctify them. And the high priest was one of the people represented, selected by God to represent them in this sanctification process. So they are of the same stock. They are from the same flesh. As verse 14 says, since the children, these are the children whom Christ has sent to deliver, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So he was choosing to take on flesh in order to sanctify them. He is the sanctifier. The second was he was their savior from slavery. And verse 14 kind of continues that. He says uh, um, he partook of the same things so that through death, there's two things that he says, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and secondly, to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So this was a, these were the things he was doing through death. He was choosing to pursue death, to destroy and to deliver. And the way he accomplished that is what we see in verse 17. He became the sacrifice that satisfied. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, students, you might not know that word propitiation, and I would argue probably your parents don't either. Uh, this is a word we don't use very often, but quite simply, a propitiation, or to make propitiation, that is a means of appeasing God's wrath, satisfying God's wrath. We don't tend to talk about God's wrath that much, but look what he says. He says, he, 
uh, was a high priest to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Which tells us that it is the sins of the people that have stirred up God's wrath. And yet, Jesus became a high priest to make that propitiation, that sacrifice for the sins of his people. Now, in the Old Testament, God had commanded the Israelites to offer animal sacrifices to be this propitiation for the sins of the people. The animal was the substitute for the person who sinned. That was how God's wrath was satisfied. But it was never perfect. That's why they had to keep offering sacrifices over and over and over again. But what this says is that Jesus made propitiation for the sins of the people. He did it completely. But he didn't offer an animal. He offered himself, his own body. He took on human flesh. He became a person so that he could offer himself as that substitute for you and for me to satisfy the wrath of God. And not only that, he wasn't just the sacrifice. He was also the high priest who offered it. He was the sacrifice and the sacrificer on our behalf. And there's one other thing that it says that he accomplished by becoming like us and suffering like us is that he became a sympathizing savior. Verse 18 says, that for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. God's purpose was to put your champion, your pioneer, through the courses, through each and every trial in which you will face, so that he could understand you. And understanding you, he might show you mercy. He might become a merciful high priest. And he might help you because he is the one who is now exalted into the heavenly realms with all power and authority, who understands what you're going through, who cares what you're going through, who feels the pain that you've experienced. And he is able and eager and willing to help. So, beloved, suffering's never pleasant. It's not good. It's not something that we ever ask for. And yet, it is easier to endure when we consider God's redemptive plan and purpose through suffering. That is, through this path of suffering that he leads sons to glory. And it's through your suffering that he is sanctifying you. He is preparing you for glory. It's in his suffering he has nullified or destroyed the work of the devil. He has set you free. He has liberated you so that you can pursue this holiness, this godliness. You can set aside the sins in which you were imprisoned. You can find the freedom and release. And he's delivered you from the fear of death. I mean, yes, we, unless the Lord should come back before this time, each and every one of us shall die, and yet death has lost its sting. Because in Christ Jesus, we know that we have eternal life that awaits. And we can see that he is 
eager to help. He's gone before us. He is strength for the journey. And this was something that it was fitting for our God to do. It's fitting for us to endure it. And it was something that the Lord Jesus Christ was not ashamed to take down because he delighted to bring us to glory. Now, I think we need to pause one more time to ask the question, for whom is, does Jesus do these things? For whom is Jesus the deliverer and the conqueror and the pioneer, the rescuer, the deliverer, the high priest? Because we see different things that can confuse us. Verse 9 says that um, he, he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10 says um, he's bringing many sons to glory. If we think grammatically for just a second, uh, those two things are kind of ambiguous. Uh, tasting death for everyone, that could mean he's tasting death for every person, or it means everyone for whom he is tasting death. Many sons to glory could mean more than one son, or it could mean uh, less than all the sons, or less than all people. So we don't really know from those two verses who all is involved in this salvation that he has worked. But verse 16 helps us. It says, for surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So that's helpful for two reasons. One, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to save angels. He came to save those who are lower than angels. But it says offspring of Abraham, which is important. Because if he had said offspring of Adam, we would expect that he had come to save all mankind. But God had entered into a covenant, a unique and particular arrangement with Abraham. He said, I will be your God. You will be my people. This promise is for you and for your children. And that doesn't mean the nation of Israel because Abraham's name meant the father of many nations. As the Lord said to him, in you will all the nations be blessed. But the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians makes clear that all who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are sons of Abraham by faith. And that is who he is talking about here. This is the offspring or the seed of Abraham whom the Lord Jesus Christ has come to help. Those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their deliverer, as their conqueror, as the substitute on their behalf. And we know this, uh, this could also be helped as in verse 16 uh, where it says he helps those who are offspring of Abraham. The, the Greek word that he uses there could also be translated he takes hold of or he takes by the hand. It's the same, it's the same word that he uses later in chapter 8 where he is referring to what the Lord said, where he's like, I took Israel, my people, by the hand out of Egypt. And beloved, if you, are in the, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have put your hope and your trust in him, know for certain that he has come to take you by the hand out of slavery to your sin and bondage to the power of the devil on the way to glory. He will lead you there. 
is a certainty. So we've considered the pioneer and we've considered the path, but we can't miss sight of the promise that awaits at the end of the journey. The Lord, our God, gives promises to help sustain us and motivate us and give us that strength to encourage us as we persevere. And God gave those promises to the Lord Jesus Christ, which allowed him to endure. And the first one is a bit obscure in our text, but that first promise that our God gave to the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, was you. You and me. God promised to him brothers and sisters. Let me show you where. It says, verse 11, he who he sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have the same source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. He, he, he gives this explanation about brothers, and as is his custom, he quotes abbreviated Old Testament passages to, to explain this. And the first of those quotes is from Psalm 22, the psalm that we actually just sang. And he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise. Remarkably, brothers and sisters, this is the same psalm that Jesus quoted on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this declaration of hope is after the lament of suffering. It's after the lament. So that the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing he would suffer, and even on the cross, as he cries out, why have you forsaken me? He could cling to the promise that I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise. Quite literally, I will sing hymns in the church. The next two quotes are from Isaiah 8, uh, verses 17 and 18. And if you've got your bulletin, they are printed in the uh, Scripture for Prayer and medica- Meditation at the beginning. The first is from verse 17. And it is speaking of how the Lord has turned his back on Israel. And the prophet Isaiah says, and I will put my trust in him. It's a very similar message to that of Psalm 22. That as the Lord has turned his face, he will put his trust in him. And then thirdly, the expanded quote is, Behold, I and the children God has given me are signs importance from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. His continued, the, the prophet Isaiah saw his continued existence and his children as signs from the Lord of hosts of God's faithfulness to him in the midst of suffering, in the midst of deliverance. And the author of Hebrews says, puts those in the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ to say this was his hope. His hope, beloved, was that Christ would be faithful to the end the Lord would give him new life and give him brothers and sisters. 
with whom he could declare his name and sing his praises. And beloved, that promise to the Lord Jesus Christ has been fulfilled. And it's been fulfilled in part by you and by me. Because when we gather for worship, beloved, we, we are in God's presence. We are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit. He is here with us just as he speaks to you and to me through his word. So he also sings hymns along with you and me by his spirit. He is delighting in the fulfillment of God's faithfulness in you and me. And beloved, notice notice again, it says, he, he said, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And I want you to reflect on that for just, just a brief moment. The Lord Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call them brothers. I think every one of us knows what it means to be ashamed of someone else. Surely you've felt that shame. Uh, perhaps you've felt that shame from others, that they've been ashamed of you. And maybe you f- feel that shame even now. Maybe there's something that you have done in your life that you're ashamed of, that you know that you can never undo. Or there's something that you feel about yourself that is shameful, that you can't get rid of. But listen to this, brothers and sisters. He is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed to call you brother and sister. He was not ashamed to put on human flesh, to become like you, so that he could lead you to glory and be with you forever and ever, beloved. That is good and beautiful news. And since he is not ashamed of you, let the thrill of that, his strong and powerful love for you, wash over you and wash away any shame that you have of him. Don't be ashamed of him. So there was a promise of his brothers and sisters, but there was also the promise that his suffering would be purposeful, that it would yield, it would result in your sanctification. He knew that God would make his brothers holy in him. And beloved, this is good news because when Jesus was raised from the dead, we saw that God would not let his holy one see decay. We saw that Jesus is the holy one so that in him we are holy and, in, and by his spirit he is making us holy. He is purifying us for his very self. And our suffering is one of the means that God brings that about. The Lord Jesus Christ also clung to the hope that he would, that through death, he would conquer death. And when he was raised to new life, when he was seated on the right, the right hand of God the Father, could you hear his taunt? O death, where is thy sting? O death, where is your victory? 
the Lord Jesus Christ even now reigns over death and that will be the last enemy that he conquers. But even still, beloved, we have the hope that we have been liberated from the fear of death as we look at our resurrected and ascended Lord. And finally, brothers and sisters, Lord Jesus Christ clung to the hope that he was the, the conquering archegos, come to deliver his people, to lead sons to glory. He was clothed with human flesh and blood so that he would taste death for his people, but he has since been crowned with glory and honor. And beloved, he is our pioneer. He is our leader. And do you see what awaits? Do you see where he is? He's in glory, beloved. That is our hope. That is our destination. That is where he is leading us. If only we would follow him there. That is our end. Glory. Beloved, the Son of God became man to lead many sons to glory, and he will lead those sons to glory. So let us look to Christ our champion and our pioneer, the man who was made perfect through suffering so that he would lead us to glory. He will lead us there for his eternal joy and glory and praise. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, to do all these things for us. Forgive us for our doubt and our worry and our fear and our frustration and our bitterness. Help us to love you and to trust you. Lord Jesus, would you sustain us and strengthen us as we endure. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, our hymn of